Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, hosted by Stick Mobility. Uh, today's guest, we have a friend of ours, Ivan Batnich, MMA fighter, a professional, so not just a weekend warrior. Uh, he actually does this for a living. Ivan, go ahead and uh, give the listeners a little background on yourself, if you would. But yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be a part of what you guys are doing. And I want to let you know how impressed I am with your progress since we first encountered each other and your motivation for me. So, Thanks, man. Well, thank you, sir. So yeah, anyways, I'm a professional fighter out of San Jose. I am also a former gym owner. I had a gym in San Jose called IB Strong. I met Dennis and Neil at a place in Campbell way back when we were doing some training over there. I had been an amateur fighter at the time and kind of a, uh, say, aggressive approach to training at that time. But as the years go by, you know, things change. But yeah, so I was like a football guy, heavy duty strength training, barbell exercise type, and then was also into martial arts and doing personal training. That's how I encountered Neil and Dennis. So you just mentioned about how you started, what your mental approach was or what your outlook was when we first met you. What That's almost been, what, like eight years now? Yes, yeah, so way back when in, say, 2000, well, 2004 is when I graduated high school, right? And okay. I didn't go to Foothill College to play football. I was into football. And then I injured my hamstring at that time. So I quit the team and then dropped all my classes. And then I kind of got in like a little argument with my mother. And she's like, oh, you need to go to school and you need to be a full-time student. So I signed up for the personal training certification program at Foothill College. Mm. And that's how I got introduced to, say, being a trainer initially. So we were studying like the NSCA, National Strength Conditioning Association text. And then I decided that I was no longer going to be pursuing football. I was going to be a trainer when I was 18 years old. So that's how I initially got my foot into the door of fitness and training. And then, so I was pursuing that. And then I got contacted by a coach at West Valley College for football. And then I ended up transferring out of Foothill College into West Valley College. At that time, put the training kind of on the back burner and started enrolling in like traditional classes so I could transfer. Before I transferred, I transferred to Washington State after like a pretty good junior college football career. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but it was pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> what position did you play? I played middle linebacker in college. Like I said, I had gotten interest in, in strength training and training like people. So I was using myself as a guinea pig, hoping that I could acquire the skill and knowledge as a trainer to train myself, to be athletic enough to get a scholarship to a division one school and then go on and play professional football to use myself as an advertisement at that time. So I was always into, into training and like at that time I was into like elite FTS and Louis Simmons, Westside barbell, powerlifting, like dynamic effort, you know, explosive power development because I was a football guy. Uh -huh. So I ended up transferring up to Washington State. My training was faulty and my, my movements upon like recollection weren't that great. So I ended up tearing my quad at Washington State and oh. play down up there. I was an All-American at the junior college level, got invited to Washington State. I had these intentions of like becoming a starter and breaking the starting squad, et cetera. I tore my quad and then spent a semester there 
came back down to the Bay Area, to Saratoga, back to West Valley College, re-enrolled in classes, took some prerequisites, transferred to Cal State East Bay as a kinesiology major, thinking like, okay, well, I made it to Division I. That's pretty impressive. I'll just go and finish up my degree over here, and then I'll be a trainer. So then I got a job at like Equinox when I returned, and I was... Uh, you know, finishing up my school at Cal State Bay as a kinesiology major. And then, uh, interestingly enough, I decided to start playing football again. I got signed to an arena football team because I was such a good trainer. I had, like, learned such great skill, et cetera. So I <laughs> rehabbed my torn quad, came back from obscurity, got signed to an arena football team, played one game with them, decided that that wasn't really for me. And then signed up over at AKA, the American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose, because my training partner at the time, this guy, Joe Adamo, whom you guys know, yep, yep. Joey, yep. Uh, he and I used to compete in the gym and have like a, uh, a competition daily. It was always a competition to see if you could lift the most or do the most or whatever, something to joke around or torment the other person with. And so he started going to AKA while I was finishing up my football, my football stuff. He actually played with me, but we stopped playing at the same time. But he joined AKA prior to me, came to the gym talking about how he could beat me up, et cetera. <laughs> so then I signed up over at AKA <laughs> so that I could join the class and prove him wrong, right? I mean, I'm pretty good. So I ended up staying there. I wrestled throughout high school. And like at the time, I had just finished playing arena football. I was 245 pounds and like very explosive and large and athletic. So of course I was like dominating normal people in classes, you know, hobbyists and whatnot. So they invited me to do the, uh, the pro practice over at AKA. So I started doing like wrestling and jujitsu, et cetera. At the same time I was finishing up school. So I did finish school. I have a bachelor's in kinesiology from Cal state East Bay. I never got my CSCS. I said that I said that as a goal to get my bachelor's and then go get a CSCS, but I got distracted with uh, my martial arts. So I've been pursuing martial arts and strength coaching or uh, being a trainer since I want to say 2009 or 2010. While I was over there at the gym in Campbell, I had well previously right. I had a two and zero amateur career, so I had two amateur fights uh, fighting out of AKA and then was training people. Then I got contacted by the people over at NorCal Fitness in Campbell. And they said, hey, come check our gym out. I really liked it. So I started taking my clients there. That's when I met you guys. Then I was training for a pro debut, broke my eye socket, changed my gears in terms of like, I had to take some time off to recover from my eye injury. They, they put me on the, the injury reserve for a while, the doctors. So then I decided I was going to open up a gym because what I was perceiving was a, say, a conflict between training styles. Like, in my perception, there's a, a studio setting and a training setting mm -hmm. where there's like a, uh, a corporate style setting. Like, I don't think that it's appropriate to mix, say, power lifters with personal trainers or like unsupervised lifting with people who are doing supervised training. So then I had the intention to open up my gym at 1825 West San Carlos in 2014, which ended up being IP Strong, which is now closed, which I closed in uh, approximately one year ago, July of 2019. 
Wow. So I've been basically on vacation focusing on my martial arts and improving my uh, skill acquisition, just being refocused. I do have three children. So in the time between opening the gym and closing the gym, I had two children and my third kid came in November after closing the gym in July. So I have three children. I'm a four and one professional fighter. I did fight uh, again after opening my gym. That's an interesting story, right? So I did fracture my eye socket and then open the gym. And then when I had my gym, it wasn't as popular as I had originally anticipated. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of how, how I could maybe passively promote myself and passively promote the gym or develop content that would be impressive to people within my niche, you know, like performance-based mm-hmm. training, etc. So I took an amateur fight up in Oroville in, well, yeah, at Oroville, Feather Falls Casino. So I fought at a casino secret fight. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty cool. But I ended up reaffirming to myself that I could still do martial arts competitively with aspiring professionals or professionals during that time. So then November of 2015, I made my professional debut at the age of 30, professional mixed martial arts debut for Dragon House over here in San Francisco. And my pro debut was really exciting. First round submission. And then shortly after that, I had my second professional fight and started kind of reconnecting with my martial arts uh, roots I guess, my martial arts community. So my second pro fight, I won second round, well, yeah, second round submission, you know, highlights all around. I'm kind of like a highlight reel martial arts guy. I have lost, but that was an exciting fight. So the fight that I did lose was my third professional fight. So I had, a, say, 5-0 and undefeated streak going. And then uh, took some time off after my second kid was born, fought 15 months after a 15 month hiatus, fought this guy. He didn't make weight, but it's a very exciting fight. You should watch it. Totally like obliterated the dude, but I got tired. And so that was a very big informational moment because prior to that happening, I was very dead set on being an anaerobic, overpowering style martial artist, like transitioning or transferring my momentum from football right Mm -hmm. if you think about a football linebacker you've got five seconds to just obliterate whatever gets in your way or run down the field and try to tackle some guy then you've got a significant time to rest in that fight it was an interesting thing so i weighed in at 185 on the dot he was overweight the guy fought next day i was 196 because you weigh in the day you're to fight. So I went mm-hmm. 185, got up to 196, 11-pound recharge on my end. He was, say, a little over 190 the day of the weigh-in, and then came in at 220 the day of the oh, 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 shit. Allegedly. <laughs> so I had kind of decided in my head that I was going to destroy him. So I went to try to destroy him, and I did. However... I got tired because I uh, wasn't being uh, knowledgeable about pacing myself. You know, like if you're just trying to hit something or sprint as hard as you can, like if you go onto the track, doesn't matter how good of shape you're in, mm-hmm. you say sprint as hard as you can, more than likely you're going to maybe last 25 to 45 seconds and then collapse. Mm-hmm. Any person, I would think. So I kind of changed my perspective in terms of how to be a martial artist, more, more effective and efficient martial artist. 
from that fight. And so my training style did slightly change. And we can review like my theories on training style, but I wanted you guys to get up to, up to speed. But yeah, so my most recent fight was in Bellator in September of 2019. So it would have been a one-year thing. I was scheduled to fight May 9th, but COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I should have fought sooner than later. COVID's been a good time because I can uh, reassess my training style and then spend more time with my family and then address like injuries that I may have neglected in the past, which is, I think, a very important thing. I think that in martial arts, like there's no prescribed off-season person. Yeah. So I think that it's good to take an off-season just in general in most things that you do in life. Is your fight rescheduled or kind of generally speaking? uh, I actually, like I mentioned, I did say that I wanted to take care of some injuries that I've been kind of collecting. Uh-huh. So I've got some stuff checked out. I have a, uh, interestingly enough, an ACL tear. I had an ACL rupture. Oh. So I'm three weeks into post-surgery from an ACL reconstruction. So this is me first time saying anything about it. But I figured because I want to uh, show how strong I am, I'm declaring that I'll be back. I'll fight again, and it's going to be better than you've ever seen. Fantastic. Yes, sir. So when, you know, with the football, you were much more into the powerlifting, explosive lifts. Yeah, but I think that was because of, say, a misunderstanding and an obstruction of view from my ego. I think that my ego clouded a lot of my decision-making as a young man. So I wanted to be huge when I played football as opposed to uh, fluid or athletic wasn't uh-huh. really my intention on acquiring. I wanted to be like brutal, you know, uh-huh. middle linebacker. Yeah. yeah, I was. So, but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, football. I think that that I think it was a good experience. I think that, that was pretty good. So, given that style or that perspective on how you used to work out, what is more of your general? style now as far as your approach to how you train yourself i do still work with some people but if i were to break my own movement down i want to see high level movement quality right like the more aligned you are in your movement and the more say focused and say your end range control that you have Uh the less risk of injury you're going to encounter right you have less risk of injury but also your movement becomes so much more efficient. Uh-huh. Like if your movement quality is high level, you don't necessarily need to, um, well, you definitely don't need to lift with your ego. You're going to be lifting wrong. I th- I think that a lot of football people lift with their ego where they uh-huh. compare themselves to other people. Like, Hey, how much can you squat? And then some goofy kids like, well, I can squat 500 pounds. It's like, well, actually you stepped it up off the rungs and then (laughs) your ankles a little bit, you know? So I think that people need to acquire knowledge of what the actual movement is prior to loading it. Like even myself, I had to readjust and relearn all the movements because I was taught wrong initially. Uh My my strength coaches, my football coaches, you know, people from the seventies who have like biceps or whatever, you know, whoever some kid listens to, I was a goofy kid. So I was taught wrong. You still think there's a lot of value though. And you know, the, a lot of that traditional type strength training I, in MMA. I do think that there is. However, I will say that 
traditional strength training in terms of performance, like uh, the bastardized Western football approach to strength training is generally too technical for most people to undertake is what I will say. I think that there's better variations that are lower risk that are going to provide more reward for what people are looking for. I think that it would be better to do say trap bar deadlift than say deficit barbell deadlifts or teaching hinging mechanics, top down hinging mechanics or doing a goblet or front load squat as opposed to a back squat, box squat with a, with a belt on mm-hmm. overloading compensatory patterns. I think that most people lack the knowledge and the initiative to acquire the knowledge to be effective or efficient lifters, mm. if that makes sense. No, definitely. The The thing that when we first met, the thing that I noticed about you, though, was your drive uh, and the mental approach that you had when it, when it came to training, right which mind. for me was a, a much higher set than the vast amount of people you'll ever come across. Well, it's, I think it's based on my goals. I've Mm -hmm. always had like very high expectations in terms of uh, what I want to achieve or even what I would perceive. So I kind of had this, uh, this interesting realization. If you were to take a step back and like objectively look at yourself, it's kind of how somebody was talking to me about fighting your fighting style because i'm i actively choose the type of fighting style that i engage in when i go to fight and then i actively choose which style of training will make my fighting style more effective so you can actively choose what your avatar can do based on what your mind makes it do in training Mm. right if you want to be a savage performer linebacker whomever then you need to train like it and you need to adopt that mindset when people aren't watching you. I think that that's a big thing. Uh, I was jotting down some notes and I said, like the top things, like you can't out-train like your core foundation. If uh-huh. a person or athlete isn't sleeping, they're not going to perform well. If they don't have adequate nutrition, they're not going to perform well. And if they don't come in with the right mindset, like if they don't have goals that are set from them by themselves, I mean, how many times have you potentially undertook, say, a client whose parent or somebody else has these high expectations for them, but then they're consistently not matching the output that would yield the results that would be required for them to, say, achieve what it is that they say they want? Uh How many times people come and say, I want to play D1. I want to be a Division I football player. They're like, okay, well, what do you have to do? You have to work your ass off every single day and go to sleep and go to bed and do your dishes. God damn it. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) get after it every single day, all day. Uh And that's uh, kind of my mindset. I mean, initially it was kind of interesting when I had my gym, I ended up getting a house within walking distance to the gym, a two minute walk. So I got rid of the truck that I had Uh and then I got a bicycle. And so I started doing my bicycle and then I kind of came into a crossroads because I was having trouble getting training partners to come to train with me over at my gym. Because once you say reach a certain level, not anyone, not just everyone's going to cut it in terms of training partners. Uh I wanted to go back to AKA. So I would end up 
teaching my classes in the morning, say 6 a.m., 10 a.m., hop on the bicycle, go take the bicycle to the light rail, light rail to AKA, bicycle to AKA, train at AKA, bicycle all the way back home some days. And like, if it's your mindset to be an overachiever, then all you need to do is just start overachieving and then you're going to become an overachiever. Like if you're adopting the mindset and the practices of overachieving daily, eventually things will catch up. I mean, I would think, or at least you can hope. What did that do for your conditioning? Uh, I think that it kind of set me apart from a lot of things and a lot of people because my mindset is say, if you're riding 10 miles, that's nothing. I mean, there's people in the Tour de France, bicycle 100 miles in a day. And so if you're, you're say, do some, you go play, you go play. I mean, martial arts is a privilege to do. Like, how can I ever complain? Get to ride my bike and enjoy the sun, enjoy the midday. People are at work, driving their cars or waiting in traffic. And I got to do my martial arts all day. Mm-hmm. Ride my bicycle around. So I can, uh, I can really only be thankful that I can have those experiences, but you have to, to put the work in to achieve and, and have those experiences. I mean, they don't come cheap. You have to fulfill what you say you're going to. You, when you said just a few minutes ago, you were talking about training partners, right. not cutting it. What, what were you looking for? What are some things, qualities that you were looking for in your training partners? We'll say like, if I'm to walk into a, a gym mm-hmm. and I'm looking for a trainer, Let's let's say I'm looking for a trainer. I want to improve my skill. I want someone who's more knowledgeable and who can help me acquire more skill Uh or say challenge me. So if I am to say be at my gym and I only have the leverage to say bring over some high school wrestlers so I can get like, because I'm, I'm well known in San Jose. So I can say, Hey guys, let's come meet at my gym and I can get a bunch of high school wrestlers who are pretty good, Uh but I can take them all down. And I can defend all their takedowns. Uh-huh. But if I want to work on my defense and be challenged, then I need to go to a place where people are better than I am. Uh-huh. Just as in, like, if you go to school, you want to go be lectured by a professor. If you go to a stick mobility seminar, you want to have a certified stick mobility coach teaching you how to do the movements. Uh-huh. So I kind of came to a crossroads at one point where I was like, I'm not going to improve. If I just stay over here, uh-huh. I need to be more of a seeker. I need to go over there and I need to challenge myself. And I mean, undertaking the uncomfort, the uncomfort of challenging yourself is going to make you better. I mean, not only was getting there a challenge, but then once you're there, then you're challenged by people who have accolades and they have more skill. And then you have the opportunity to now acquire more skill and to be challenged and say, they say, iron sharpens iron. Uh-huh. I mean, if you take two sharp blades and you start striking them, they're going to dull each other. Uh-huh. But if you were to take those blades and like sharpen them together, then that could do it. That might sharpen it. I mean, so uh, my, my mindset has changed from football because football, especially, I was younger, so I didn't perceive like the practice, how the practices were scheduled as say rest periods or as like skill knowledge acquisitions, I didn't appreciate my strength training sessions as a controlled environment to improve your athleticism. But now I appreciate a strength training session as in a, a controlled environment. Like I think that for people to improve athletically, 
they need to be in a controlled environment and save, especially for martial artists, save that uncontrolled environment for when the risk equals the reward. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Like uh-huh. you've heard of, say, gym wars, where I'm sure you've seen people lifting more weight than they should and injuring themselves. I did that one time pretty bad. So I think that uh, saving the, con- the uncontrolled environment for uh, the field of competition is, I think, the, the number one thing that people need to understand. It's, you don't need to max out every single training session and you don't need to enter into this wild, uncontrolled chaos every single training session either. So I think that these are all things that I've adopted, you know, mm-hmm. over time. So would you say more training like like Drago instead of Rocky? Uh, not necessarily, but what I would say is like for you to acquire skill, you need to kind of say take away the stressor. Like I went to school, so we took like an exercise psychology course. I took an exercise psychology course and they were talking about how the increase of stimulus, the more stimulus that a person uh, encounters, the worse they're typically going to perform, but you can generally increase their uh, performance by reducing stimulus. So if you can take away danger, like if I don't have to worry about getting injured and hurt, then I can try new things. I can adopt new practices. I can now train in situations where I may feel uncomfortable because I know that we're in a controlled environment. My friend's not going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. But if it's an uncontrolled thing, then oftentimes you'll be so rigid and want to win so bad that you'll just revert back to what you're already good at. For people to improve, they need to kind of open themselves up to a reduction of stimulus, you know, back to child's children's games mm-hmm. or, or the flow state. You guys have heard of flow state? Yep. Yeah. Flow state. Yeah, definitely. Interestingly enough. So my jujitsu instructors, instructors will say, okay, guys, we're going to flow. Right. And then people start going like crazy. <laughs> they don't understand flow. They don't understand what that means initially. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that's another thing that people need to understand about fighting, like fight sports. It's a, you need to have a high level of rhythm and be able to maintain your danger for a long period of time. You can't just overpower every single person. A bullfighter is not going to overpower a bull. A bullfighter is going to get out of the way of the bull and then stab them in the heart when they go by and then watch what they did and then laugh at them and then move the other way. Stab them. Uh-huh. You know I mean, and not exert their energy. So I need to, I mean, as a martial artist, I'm still improving, I would say. And as a strength coach, I'm still improving, still acquiring knowledge. I mean, in theory, the theory is the more explosive and the more powerful you would be, the more dangerous as a fighter you would be, but that's not always the case. The more explosive and powerful you are, the more you might gas out, the more you might rely on your explosiveness and power. So there's lots of different variables when it comes into programming and it, there's lots of different variables when it comes down to programming per the individual, you know, because my fighting style might be different than say Neil's fighting style, which may yeah. be different than Dennis's fighting style and our natural aptitude towards which fighting style we may be more inclined to adopt. Uh-huh. So there's lots of different variables in terms of how you would even fight. I mean, say Mike Tyson, how he fought, would you train him necessarily the same way as you would train Mayweather? No. No, 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 no. No. 
just because they're, they have different fighting styles and uh -huh. different requirements based on their weight class too. Uh -huh. So there's not necessarily like a cut and paste one size fits all fighter program, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those things you kind of bang your head against the wall. You're like, wow, what, what's the hack? Is there a hack that's going to help everybody? And I would say generally, if there is a hack to helping everybody, it's just improving people's movement qualities and then helping them adopt helpful uh, foundational lifestyle habits, right? Mm -hmm. So when you cut down to, well, you walk around about 195, you said now, or 200? I would say between, I mean, right now, I would say probably between 190 and 200. But there have been times when I've gotten all the way up to 215. And then okay. I added down from 215 to 185. And then generally what happens is after I fight, I will generally gain 30 pounds. It's been pretty, pretty, uh, you know, uniform per each fight. Like I'll fight and then within like three or four days, 30 pounds all bloated and gross. <laughs> Nasty. And I think it's mostly because of like my lifestyle change right afterwards. I'll like eat worse than I typically do. Or like, I don't generally drink alcohol. I'm not really an alcohol guy, but I like to eat pizza once in a while, especially after fighting. That's what I'll say. For like, sure, man. Did your did your movement quality just get way better once you got when you you know, when you lost twenty pounds, thirty pounds? Because we used to walk around at the gym around what, two thirty, two thirty five? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the biggest that I've ever been is like two forty five, two fifty. I started cutting to for my amateur fights around two twenty to two oh five. So when I came over to NorCal, I was maybe two fifteen to two twenty five. Mm -hmm. That's why I was. And I mean, that had already been a huge reduction of size, mm -hmm. but then I fractured my eye socket, right? And then, I don't know if you guys remember, I injured my back deadlifting over there, trying to max out like, like a doofus <laughs> in my back. And then I was kind of like hobbling around and then I just kind of lost weight after, uh, well, what happened is I went back to AKA maybe sooner than I should have. And then I hit my head right? Hit my head in a wall and oh. kind of like impinged a nerve in my neck and my whole arm went all chicken. And I was like, yeah, F fighting, F that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And F fitness too. I'm just going to open up this gym. It's kind of what I, what I felt like. So I stopped training and my arm turned all chicken and I didn't like lift a weight for maybe like six months to a year. I just did projects over at my gym and trained people and tried to make money and stack chips as much as I could. And then I just got sick of being kind of sedentary. And then I just got back into it. I just got sick of being sedentary. Do you think most fighters are overtraining nowadays? I think that most fighters, and I mean, I may be wrong, but broad spectrum, I mean, broad spectrum, right? In my experience, like say the regional scene, Right. Uh -huh. Regional fighters or let's say your average person who wants to go to an MMA gym or your average person who wants to be perceived as a fighter, I would say doesn't train enough. And then oh. they beat up dorks like they don't challenge themselves <laughs> enough is what I would say. If you are an up and coming martial artist, I think that you should go to bed on time, wake up on time, drink lots and lots of water and eat a healthful diet and exercise and strength train and do yoga and just be like a goody two shoes and I'll train all day. I don't think that you can train enough if you live a healthful lifestyle. And again, when I mean healthful, like maxing out on deadlifting is not healthful. Maxing out every single day is not healthful, right? If you are healthful, you'll 
you'll do something helpful for yourself every single day. And then you're going to have good movement quality and be able to kick up in the air and beat people up pretty easily. Because it's got to be much easier to fight somebody who's a little stiff in the joints, so to speak. Well, say like an anaerobic style person, you've got 30 seconds to say two and a half minutes until they're tired, uh-huh. right? So there's lots of little, say, say tricks you can learn. Like one of the, one of the tricks that I learned recently was they can't hit you if they're holding you, right? So if they're trying to hold you down and they're squeezing the shit out of you, they're just exhausting themselves and they can't hit you. Just wait until, like, don't even worry about it. Just, just breathe and let them squeeze the shit out of you. They're not doing anything. They're just squeezing. Right? So, I mean, there's different things that you can learn as a martial artist to where you can preserve your, say, life bar or your energy bar and then not not blow your wad, so to speak, based on, on who it is. I mean, I would prefer to fight an anaerobic guy who can only last 30 seconds and then they get tired, then they're not, they have no, they have no power. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not threatening anymore. I mean, someone who can last a long time, I myself have a problem with overexerting myself in my fights. One of my opponents, I overheard him talking to the ref, saying to the ref, let him get tired. I'm not even going to fight him until he gets tired. Don't stop the fight. I'm just going to let him gas himself out. Mm. Right? He was not going to do anything the whole first round except block and cover himself up and let me exert myself trying to knock him out and overpower him, etc., so that he could come and beat me after I got tired. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's lots of different tricks that you can adopt to, uh, say, improve your fighting style. But in that case, then he's also risking the fact that you could connect just that one shot and it, yeah. it does not going to matter. So yeah. there's that risk reward there too. There is a risk reward, yeah. Those different ment- mental approaches and how you're going to adapt in the middle of the fight makes a big difference also. Yeah, definitely. You have a coach in the corner when you're fighting? giving yeah. you... you get three, three corners. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so typically what I'll do is I'll have like a jiu-jitsu guy a striking guy i mean in the past what i've done is i've sold a corner space to try to make more money during my fights so i've had like sponsors buy the third spot but generally i'll have my striking coach someone help me hold hold mitts and stuff like that and then have a a jujitsu kind of drilling partner type but like i said i have sold spaces if anybody's listening Mm. for sale so the so then the jujitsu guy is giving you each coach is giving you their recommendations in the middle of the fight, what adaptations or what change game plans that you should take in. Yes and no. I mean a lot of times you can't understand what they're even talking to you about. Say in the fight where the guy wanted me to get tired. Mm-hmm. Well, I did end up getting tired in the third round, towards the end of the second round, maybe. But I ended up taking him down and then he elbowed me in my head, like 30 times, right? I looked like I got exposed to toxic waste. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, people were talking to me. I don't remember what they said. I have no idea what they were saying. No memory whatsoever. So that that probably happens quite often then. I would assume so, yeah. And there must be those moments then when you... So much stimulus, like I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You have so much stimulus in terms of like, this is a new place. You're walking inside of like a cold arena there's a bunch of people screaming. There's lights. There's a ring person. Uh, there's everybody yelling. There's like an overload of stimulus. You almost go into like a shock based on, on how much stimulus there is. Like I remember my debut. 
I was looking around, right? And I started seeing people in the crowd that I, rec- I recognize, like my sister and everybody. So I wave. I'm like, so yeah, where's the guy this guy's fighting, right? I'm like, oh, okay. It's me. That's right. I'm the one fighting. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of like get yourself away from the stimulus and, and refocus yourself back to uh, back to reality. I mean, you're going to fight somebody in a cage, as absurd as that sounds. Like, sounds totally absurd, like a nightmare. Oh, my God. I just woke up here. So it's, it's kind of hard then sometimes to block everything out and really zo- zone in just on your opponent. Then. I mean, I wouldn't say it's hard. I would say that you have to acknowledge that that's something you have to do. Say blocked mm-hmm. out. It's not really hard for me to do. There have been times when, say, I felt nervousness, but you have to overcome your nervousness. Like that's one of the things I guess that maybe keeps me in martial arts still. Cause like, I feel like if I were to stop, then it would be because I was afraid, right? I let my fear overcome me. Mm-hmm. I can't let my inner coward win. So I can't let my fear of doing something stop me from doing it. Like, even though I may feel, fe- feel fear during this moment, I'm still going to go because I mean, you do feel fear. I'm assuming that most people do. Yeah. There's gotta be some, there's gotta be some of that in every fighter. I mean, it's just a natural reaction. It's very visceral. That's something I don't think you can really prevent. I mean, you can work on it work on your mindset. Like I used to have a thing with like negative self-talk where I'd be like negative Mm -hmm. and, or say, perceive myself to be under adversity. Now I don't really see myself to have adversity. I feel as though I'm like a blessed man, you know, not to be, you know, preachy, but I mean, I have an amazing life. So how could I have adversity if I have such an amazing life? Mm-hmm. But before I would be like, oh, I have all these things, all this pressure, all this adversity, you know, making it like I would have to win or I had to go fight. Not that I was actively choosing to do it. Right. Or that I wanted to win because i I mean, I do want to win, but I don't want to feel like I have to. Then you feel like you have no other option or it's like, what's going to happen if you lose? Your world's going to crumble around you. Mm -hmm. So I think that changing my mindset was a big, you know, changing my self-talk, especially like what's my day going to look like, setting an intention for the day. And then also getting rid of my gym, having a gym where I had my gym and also my style of training and my own personality attracted say a different type of person that wouldn't necessarily go to a studio setting so Mm -hmm. i had like a training style gym or like a workout style gym i guess would be the term and the neighborhood could leave something to be desired which just was what it was was. Mm -hmm. but yeah so i kind of had like a negative mindset so i'm trying to release myself negativity or at least that's something I would like to do. Nice. I feel like you have less pressure now then with that mindset. Well, definitely I have less pressure, but also like I made the active choice to get rid of my gym. At no point did the bank come to say, Hey, get rid of your gym, go do this, go do that. I was like, my lease came to an end and I was like in a bad business setting with somebody that I know. And, uh, I didn't necessarily like the business terms that I had to with my landlord. And I decided that enough was enough and I was no longer going to do it. And since that time, I have had a great life. But it's like I took accountability for my own actions. Like if you're looking at yourself as a victim and saying like, oh, why does this person take advantage of me? Well, it's like, well, why are you letting them take advantage of you? Oh, well, I have no, no other thing. It's like, well, why don't you just quit your doing your gym thing and go do your own thing when you feel ready to? 
oh, you have a new kid coming? Oh, well, you don't want to stay home and not watch him or not, not get to see your kid and be over here at the gym doing the overhead thing. So I just made the decision to get rid of it. And since taking, say, accountability and ownership over my own actions, that's been a big, uh, say, relief. Because I'm not yeah. going to do something that I don't want to do. Right. People are like, hey, come on, I'm going to open up a gym. We've got all these clients that you can work with from the minute the sun comes up to the minute the sun comes down. I'm like, you want me to go and work for you from the minute the sun comes up to the minute the sun comes down? Are you joking? <laughs> right. Like, are you, are you kidding me? I'm going to leave what I'm doing to go do what you want me to do. Give me a break. Yeah. So I think I'm just doing, doing my thing right now. It was pretty good. So what would be your, if you had a top three, tools that you would use to train another fighter uh what would those three tools be in terms of like implements yeah okay let's say training philosophies if i were to say adopt a, a broad training philosophy i would look towards say an old-timey strongman approach like say indian clubs or loaded bells maces things like that kettlebells get-ups windmills swings, a high level of work capacity, and then uh, being foundationally fit and say your body weight movements and your flexible, like things that require, say, flexibility. If you can't do 20 push-ups, you got to do 20 push-ups before you give, give you some type of external load. If you can't do pistol squats, what's, what's wrong with what, like, what's the problem with your pistol squat? Let's figure it out. If you can't do pistol squats, more than likely you're not going to be very good at fighting. It just is what it is. Hmm. Like if you lack the mobility to be athletic, if you lack the ability to perform a technique, lack the mobility and the strength to, to do a technique, you're not going to be able to use the technique. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, oh, wow, I learned this amazing spinning back fist, you know, jump kick. It's like you can only jump 12 inches off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to use that. So I think that uh, your foundation, like making sure that your avatar, your body is healthful enough to even strength train. I'm sure there's been people Well, I have gotten people into the gym who tell me that they want to be fighters, but like they can't do 20 pushups. So for those individuals, my time or their time would be best spent to get in shape prior to learning skill. If somebody has movement restriction like they're too too massive to do it then what is their fighting style going to be i mean like i said there's different fighting styles based on body types or based on natural inclinations but the better your movement quality is the more healthful and stable your you know your girdles like your hips and shoulder girdle and things like that are uh, the better you're going to be able to perform not only in your lifestyle activities but your primal movements such as fighting, you're going to be better at that. Like the more primal movements you can undergo, say like carries, pull-ups, climbing, squatting, dragging things around, chopping things, the better fighter you're going to be. If you're like all fluff, no, no stuff, like just pumping up your biceps and doing crunches and stuff like that and walking around with your chin out, it's not really going to work. You know, uh -huh. you have to do some rotational movement it's a unilateral sport it's an overhead sport i mean if we were to really break down the requirements for like building a good fighter we have to have uh evenness but it's a unilateral sport at the same time you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. Like one side should be more developed than the other side. Based on fighting style, you can even switch into a neutral stance. There's different things like, say, Muay Thai has a more squared stance than, say, boxing. So depending on the different style. But like I said, old-timey, old-timey movements, Indian clubs, kettlebells, you know, just general running, general physical preparation, general physical fitness type stuff. I was just going to ask you about that, about conditioning. Would you rather get conditioning from, you know, your kettlebell work or getting that aerobic, you know, training through running or? You should do both. I think that you need to have an anaerobic capacity, like, you know, get inside, start exerting yourself for like five to 15 to 20 count, you know, do some intervals, but then also do some steady state stuff because you are fighting for 15 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. In MMA, uh, championship rounds 25 minutes. So if you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna just gonna do one round of five, five to one. We're just gonna do five to one ratio. You know, we're gonna do kettlebell swings, this and that, this and that. You're doing these movements which are unilateral. It's like a unilateral planar movement, say mm-hmm. kettlebell swings or push presses or whatever it is that you would do for your interval, your five to one ratio say like a standard conditioning round. I think that that's good to build your work capacity, but those movements don't mimic your movements in fighting. You know, doing like a battle rope, doing a kettlebell swing, don't really mimic it. Pushing a sled doesn't really mimic it. No. Those things are good for developing your work capacity. To improve, say, your actual uh, endurance for fighting, you've got to do your rounds. You've got to like figure out a way to push your pace when you're striking, say mitts, get mitts, someone hold mitts or do backgrounds, do backgrounds, jump rope, wrestling, find someone to wrestle with, you know, wall drills, uh, have somebody grapple with you, hold you down, have different people rotating in on you. I mean, the way that you feel and sit in the fight is more tired than you could ever imagine being tired. I mean, in one of my fights, I felt more tired than than any of my other ones afterwards. I felt so exhausted afterwards, like I gave myself a heart attack or something. And I just had no, I had no baseline for how I felt at that moment. Like I had never worked that hard in my whole life. No matter what it was that I had put in front of myself in training, I knew I could have found a way to not, not feel that bad. There's no way to mimic somebody trying to cave your head in, like on top. No, yeah, no, there's nothing. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. And you get away from it and then you're like, okay. But then afterwards, I mean, there's so many different things that you feel like you have this adrenaline dump, all these things that happen, say in the fight, you know, you're like fighting somebody really fighting them like street fight almost. I mean, you're in a cage and there's rules, but still, you're still fighting them. And then all of a sudden it ends and then you're like shaking, you know, and then, uh, everyone's like oh yeah congratulations congratulations and you're like huffing and puffing trying to recover from what had just happened some traumatic experience yeah because there's not there's it's like growing playing goalie in hockey and then the first time i ever stepped onto a wrestling mat right i mean i thought i was well conditioned like i was like i got this yeah and 30 seconds later i'm on my back just gasping for air like what the yeah. hell is this and shit? Learning how to pace yourself in the match. Like I had wrestled. I guess I had an anaerobic wrestling style prior, but you can be anaerobic and then find ways to rest within the fight and find positions to rest. 
Like if you go in and you think like, well, I need to kill this person, thinking that way, you're going to gas out. If you're like, okay, I'm going to try to kill him now, then we're going to rest. Now I'm going to kill him. Now I'm going to rest. Now I'm going to kill him. Now I'm going to rest. And then also saving, uh, saying ground and pound. One of the things that gassed me out a lot in one fight was that I was trying to like rabbit punch the guy. Uh-huh. I've seen a lot of fights where the ref will finish it if the person starts hitting the guy really fast. Hitting uh-huh. fast. And so I try to finish my fights quickly by hitting him a lot of times unanswered fast. But the punches didn't do enough damage for them to stop it because they were so fast. So, uh you know under tension doing a lot of fast movements that weren't really damaging the person i was fighting so if you were to say breathe say five times catch your breath and then just destroy them like with one huge shot that could actually do more damage uh-huh. than holding it holding it tight well, thanks for coming on, brother. Appreciate it, man. Great to get some insight as far as, you know, mentality as far as being a fighter and training and yeah. things that you take from the yeah. ring outside the ring, you know? Appreciate it. And like I said, uh, big props to you guys. Keep doing your thing. As again, I'll keep, keep looking for motivation, and then uh, I'll share the shit out of this. Thank you very much. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Ivan. Ivan. Appreciate you, brother. And uh, thank you for everyone out there listening. And uh, until next episode, be good to each other.